Hey guys, welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. We're so glad you joined in to listen to us today. Today we're going to be talking about Genesis chapter 11 through 15. But before we do, let's do a quick recap of last week's episode. So last week we went through chapters 5 through 10, um, which went through the increasing of corruption on the earth. God sent a flood. He commanded Noah to build his ark, save animals two by two. Um, He made his covenant with Noah after the flood, and he promises never to destroy the earth again with a flood because of man's wickedness. And then chapter 10 ends with the generations of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham's son, Canaan, was cursed by Noah, and his descendants became the most notable enemies of Israel. And Shem's descendants lead to Abram, which eventually lead to Jesus. So starting in chapter 11, we zoom out a bit from focusing on one family of Noah's, to what is happening in the world around them. So that leads us into the story of the Tower of Babel. I think it's important to kind of talk or give a little bit of background on the history of what's happening um, in the time or in the setting of the Tower of Babel. So I think it's important to note also, first of all, that these events in chapter 11 are not separate from chapter 10. Um, they didn't, chapter 10 of Genesis, they didn't happen, you know, after that or in its own time. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, was likely occurring during the events of chapter 10, um, because we know then that's when God started to disperse the peoples. Um, so at this time, it's it's referred to as the Middle Bronze Age. Um, it's right around the time when people have started um, creating bronze. They discovered you can mix tin with something else. I forget what it is to create bronze. And so people are creating new weapons, new cultural things, you know, that type of thing. Um, And so they have these, they're like city states that have these huge four to five walls around them Mm -hmm. to protect from other city states um, that are basically waging war on each other for gain of power. Um, because now we're seeing a shift in wealth being shifted to non-perishable things like land and stuff, basically. Um, so that's what it looks like during this time. Interesting. It's kind of like the real clash of clans. Yes. Real in life. A, yeah. Like, video game. Yes. <laughs> Uh, So starting in chapter 11, the first verse, it says the entire earth had one language and the same words. Um, And I think it's kind of funny that the Hebrew name for Babylon is Babel, which means to confuse. (laughs) Because, you know, at the end of this. Yeah. It confuses the language and disperses the people. Yes. Um, But the actual tower, I was a little intrigued by this. I'm not going to lie. I kind of fell into one of my rabbit holes again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the Tower of Babel was this massive structure that was built in Mesopotamia. Um, And I didn't know anything about Mesopotamia, so I kind of did a little digging. Uh, But basically, it's just a Greek word meaning between rivers. 
and it refers to the land between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. But today, that area includes eastern Syria, southeastern Turkey, and most of Iraq. So, the Tower of Babel, um, most scholars think it was a ziggurat. Is that how you would That's pronounce how I it? would say it. A ziggurat. Um, like I said, it's this giant structure. And if you look at a picture of one of them, they're like square or like rectangle like layers that lead up yeah. to like this one little high point and the little people that are standing next to them are so tiny so it's kind of have like kind of like the ark you don't really know how big it is until you look at it or see it in person which i don't know if any of these exist today um i did see like when I was also researching, and I don't know, I'm yeah. sorry if I'm jumping ahead on all of your points. It showed a like Google Earth picture yeah. of where the Tower of Babel was or is thought to have been. Mm -hmm. And it was the measurements were 300 feet by 300 feet. Wow. That's how wide or like the base of it was. Yeah. So, so it was like a square. Yeah, it was a massive structure. And again, I don't know if I'm like jumping ahead or whatever, but I watched a lecture, listened to a lecture from Answers in Genesis mm -hmm. um, by, I do believe they're sponsored by or done by the people at the Ark Encounter. Yeah. And he was talking about how you can see other ziggurats built by other people's all over the world. Yeah. So. Interesting. Just further evidence that yeah. you are likely correct. Yeah. And I like how in the beginning of chapter 11, it talks about how they make bricks and burn them and like the, the actual making of the bricks and mortar, quote unquote. Um, it just shows like the evolution of people and how. Yeah. These were giant structures. It was a monumental effort motivated by pride, basically, because mm -hmm. like Whitney said, they were built for their quote-unquote gods of their day. So the tower with its top in the heavens was supposed to be like this stairwell that their gods could come to and from heaven and yeah. earth. Yeah, where they would dwell or whatever at the top. And yeah. They could come down and yeah. Yeah. So this is humans, again, sacrilegiously challenging God and everything he stands for. Mm -hmm. They're just being plain old. In verse 6, they're just being defiant. Yeah. And God says in the verse, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and mm -hmm. they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. The beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Mm -hmm. So I think he's also touching on the fact that he has commanded them to be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth yeah. and everyone's staying in one place with one language because they want to conquer all and outwardly define him exactly yeah i just exactly. think it's funny that they built this tower and the whole purpose behind it was one so that their gods could come and you know do whatever in between heaven and earth but also it was fueled by human pride so they wanted to make a name for themselves they wanted to find significance and immortality in their own achievements by building this giant structure yeah. but 
God only gives everlasting name to those who serve him. Exactly. So these quote-unquote proud sinners were afraid of being dispersed, and in the end, their fear of dispersion got happens, them dispersed. Yeah, yeah. So I also just want to take a second to, like, I guess, like, a, something to think about in, like, I guess, life now. So if people then came together and could build structures that massive mm-hmm. and could have, you know, governments and laws yep. and trades and things that massive because they came together. Can we just think about what we would be able to do for good now, even if a fraction of the people on this earth were to come together for, I don't know, a single solid purpose? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of, again, our own prideful things. Yep. Like, can you think about what would have happened if the fall never had happened? If we were in Eden and then God told, you know, Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth because Eden was expanding or whatever. We don't know what would have happened. But think about them coming together back then and what they could have accomplished. Think about what humans could have accomplished before the flood. And their towers of defiance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> towers of defiance. I like that. Seriously. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. So these people just find their solution of building this giant tower. That's their solution in a city that rivals God, much like Cain and his city before the flood mm-hmm. and like all of his descendants. Yep. So moving on from the Tower of Pride, um, <laughs> we, we look at the Lord coming down to see what these humans have done, what they built. So this is his divine investigation before divine judgment. And I just want to point out the fact that it says the Lord came down. Mm-hmm. So we know that back two episodes ago, He was in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he is now in heaven. Like, he had to come down to see what was happening. So, in my study Bible, it said a good point about rather than conflicting with the doctrine doctrine of divine omnipotence, Mm -hmm. it depicts God in human characteristics to show that divine judgment is always according to truth. Yeah. So rather than being like God saw it and he was disgusted and he brought his judgment upon them, um, it said that he came down to look and yeah. see what was exactly. going on. Because he didn't have to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Because he's all-knowing, all-present, all-everything, all, all, present, all yep. the time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So anyway, the Lord came down on the on the tower of human pride. <laughs> the, on it. He came down pride. on <sighs> it. Put his foot down and says, "This is the only beginning of what they will do." Mad, angry, I'm sure. So, not wanting his creation to grow further into sin, he comes down and enacts his divine judgment, which is just and fitting to the transgression. He confuses their language. He disperses them from where they are to all across the face of the earth. So in this lecture that I watched on Answers in Genesis, he talks about the different language families, how many families would have been dispersed from Babel, 
And there were, they mapped out the genealogies and things, I think about 78 families Mm. that were dispersed from Babel. So when you look at a language, you can see that they evolve or they come from something. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how then we end up with, I think in the world now, he said there's about 7,000 language, 7,000 different languages. Yeah. So kind of like how Spanish originated from Latin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To evolve into what it is today. So if you map out or you look at, there's about, we said, you know, 78 families that were dispersed from the Tower of Babel. There are 95 to 100 different language families, which almost perfectly matches up with the number of families that were dispersed from the Tower of Babel. Crazy. Just something to think about. Wow. So... Ironically, instead of attaining significance and immortality, the people of Babel, they achieve alienation and dispersal. Um, If you remember, Adam and Eve and Cain were also dispersed after being judged. Yeah. But I also think it wouldn't be God's judgment without God's grace, (laughs) I think, because, you know, he loves us and he wants to protect us. So... In this judgment of dispersal, it's also an act of grace because in isolation, the people are more likely to turn to God instead of to their false idols and all of that. Exactly. And I also just want to point out that how did all these people get to these different places? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying Pangea. That's all I'm saying. Just going to leave that there. (laughs) If not Pangea, then land bridges. Because they didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. Wait, what are you talking about? They didn't have the dispersal of people, like how they got to where they were. Mm -hmm. Like up in the areas towards, um, I believe, what would have been like middle or what is currently like middle Europe and things. I believe Japheth and his family went that Mm -hmm. way. Shem's family went. I think, don't quote me on this because I'm not looking at it verbatim, um, like North-ish. Mm-hmm. And then um, Ham's family kind of West, I think. Yeah, something like that. So when you're moving to all these different places, how are you, go- how are you going? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you may have camels, but essentially you're walking. Yeah. So in order for all these people to get to where they're going. Yeah. Pangea definitely could have been a thing. Like, the states line up. It looks like it all connected at one point. Like, I'm not denying that Pangea was a thing, because it definitely could have been. But that's kind of where we try to find these pockets of logic. Like, okay, we know that the Native Americans were in America before Columbus came and destroyed them all. Um, So how did they get there? You know? Well... I'm sorry, go ahead. So the two pools of thought is one Pangea, people spread when the land was all connected. And then when it dispersed, those were those groups of people where they were that had to take a long time. Um, And like, you would think that something that catastrophic of land breaking apart would have been talked about somewhere. But then the other pool of thought is that God just picked them up and put them where they were going to go. 
kind of like he did with Adam. He made him, picked him up, and put him in the garden. Yes, and I think it's also important, too, to think that Noah and his family were master craftsmen Mm -hmm. with boats. Yeah. I mean, they built an ark that survived this massive flood. So I don't think it's too far of a stretch either to think that, you know, the people that migrated to the coasts also built boats and went out across the sea and, you know, moved that way. So just a rabbit hole that I fell into. It's definitely a rabbit hole. (laughs) Okay. I would love to do more research about it just because... It's an interesting and fascinating yeah. topic. Put that on the on the list. Nephilim, Pangea. All right. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on in chapter 11, um, from the Tower of Babel, we go into looking at Shem's descendants. So Shem, Shem, whatever. Um, no disrespect. I'm not saying that correctly at all. But Shem is the descendant from... Noah, one of Noah's sons. So we're moving from that worldview to that single family family view again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really have much on this, but Sham's descendants leads, it continues the line of Seth, um, which if you don't remember was Adam and Eve's son who, quote unquote, replaced Abel. Um, And it overlaps with the genealogies of Noah's sons we see in chapter 10, which we talked about last week. So both of these lines link Abram to the promised seed of Eve. And in this, there are definitely gaps. It's not all inclusive. It's just here to show the advancements of the line of Jesus. Yeah. So that was one of the things I had wanted to point out the importance of, you know, listing out Shem's genealogy, the fact that eventually all roads are going to lead to the Messiah, to Jesus, and to further prove that Jesus was the son of man. He was a man. He yep. was human. And I also want to talk about here de evolution. Because prior to this, prior to the flood, we're seeing Adam lived to over 900 years old. Some yep. other people lived over 900 years old. And now we're seeing the ages dropping to like 500, 400, 300. And again, this is from that um, lecture I watched. Um, he spoke about what some of the sources of that de-evolution could be. It could be, you know adjusting to different types of food because prior to this people as we talked about people were vegetarians Mm. now they're eating meat not they're migrating so they're going to different areas of the world where they may be used to a warmer climate and it's now cold how your body's going to react and change to that um and that type of thing there was just some interesting points i guess i never thought of myself when reading through this section or this part of the Bible in particular yeah. by myself. As, who's the longest line here? What, we're looking at 200 years-ish? It ends with Tara. Yeah. And he died when he was 205. Yeah. So to go from 900 to 205 is a little... That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But too, you also have to think about people were spreading all across the world. You were mixing genomes you were mixing with other families they were following further and further away from that perfect specimen that exactly. god made with adam and eve exactly so 
It makes sense. Yeah. 205. That's crazy. <laughs> anyway, so it looks at, it ends, Shem's descendants end with Terah fathering Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then we kind of move into just Terah's descendants because Abram is who will eventually be renamed by God as Abraham, who the, you know, the Messiah is fathered through Abraham. The drama that is Tara's descendants. Yes. It's a lot. So, you know, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. And he also fathered a daughter. I'm going to say this wrong. Malachi? M- I would say Malachi. Malachi. Um, and unfortunately, Haran dies in the presence of his father. We don't really know when this happened. We know that they were all living in Europe at the time. Um, and this is kind of when shortly after he dies, they kind of just pick up and leave. Maybe we don't really know the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so Abram and Nahor take wives. So Abram marries Sarai, which she's barren at this point. Um, and then Nahor marries Malachi, which is his niece. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, Sarai is also Abram's half-sister, same dad. So Tara also fathered Sarai, but different mothers from Abram. Mm. So that's, that's that. So when Haran died... Abram took Lot as his own, basically. He adopted his nephew. Mm-hmm. And then Nahor took a whole other street and just married his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is the drama of that. Um, and I just think it was kind of funny that Tara is mentioned only in chapter 11. And it's for like a split second. It's not even for that long. Like they say that they're here. And then they move, and then he dies. And my study Bible said that Abram gives the name to his family history since, you know, his the family involved in the story descends from Terah. But after this introduction, he's not mentioned again, probably because he did not share Abram's faith. Said so the family may have been involved in moon worship, since Ur and Haran were important centers for worship of the Mesopotamian moon gods, Nana and... Ironically, sin. So talking about moon gods and false gods and things, this, I think, in this time was quite a popular thing, not just for, you know, the city where Abram was, but surrounding cities, obviously. I mean, the Tower of Babel was built for a false god. Mm. Um, And I think it's interesting to think of the, the possibility that, A, Terra was likely an idol worshiper or a false god worshiper. And so when, even as us as Christians, what do we do with our children? We take them to church to learn what we learn. So, you know, it could be that he raised or taught Abram to be an idol worshiper too, because then as we segue down into Genesis chapter 12, it begins with the call of Abram. Now, we're not given a whole lot of background on why or when, you know, that type of thing. 
but we do know that he is 75 years old. So for 75 years, was he also a false god worshiper like his father was and his father before him maybe? Or... I I mean, that's a good question because they were married and everything and they still live with Tara until he died in Haran, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like... Is it going against your parents and disrespecting them if you don't go along with what they believe because they're still the head of household? Yeah. Or, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's probably, you know. Interesting. And that's probably why God waited until after Tara was dead so that he wouldn't Mm -hmm. defy his father. Yeah. It merits further research. I think so. (laughs) I don't have the answers. (laughs) So anyway, God calls Abram to leave, basically. He calls him out of paganism to trust, to love, and to serve the one true God. Yes. Yep. And this is one of my favorite chapters of this reading today, just because there's so much faith and obedience in chapter 12 when Abram is initially called by God. So God tells Abram to leave his home and to leave his family, basically, and go to the land that he will show him. He doesn't tell him where to go. He says, you're going to leave, and I will show you the way. But, you know, how much faith do you have to have to just leave everything without a destination? And he goes anyway. (laughs) Yeah, at 75 years old, he leaves everything. Everything. Like, everything he's ever known. That's almost half his life if he were to live over 200. Yeah. I mean, think about what... People who are 75 years old now, what are they doing? Certainly not packing up, starting brand new lives somewhere else in the hopes of eventually someday maybe having a child. I mean, a baby. people 75 years old now probably are lucky to be there. I, I mean, exa- <laughs> if they're healthy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to find a healthy 75 year old that doesn't have any type of yeah ailment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So his just overall faith and believing obedience is astonishing to me and i you know i feel like a lot of people are like i want to have the faith and obedience and to believe in the lord just as much as abram did and i don't think they understand how big of a conquest that is yeah (laughs) it's like if god came to you and said whitney i want you to go and leave and be a missionary well i guess i wouldn't say no but i would immediately start questioning immediately no right why when why Why Why? me why should i go there why that place why now what you have you know you have the opportunity to question but in this instance when he was called he didn't question he just went so he responds with obedience based on genuine faith and what God promises, because he says, go um, to the land that I'll show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in this initial calling, he tells him he's going to make him a great nation and that all the families that come after him, so he will have offspring, will be blessed as well. Yeah. And I think it's just important to point out, 
I guess just because to initially the first time that I had ever read through this chapter, I'm like the call of Abram. Like, why is he calling him to go out to this land? Yeah. Again, God's decree or what he told the Noah and his family to do when they came off the ark. The reason he dispersed the people from Babel was to go out, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Mm -hmm. So he's calling Abram out of, which another interesting thought that I had um, read about this week was some of the gods that these people worshipped in these cities actually encouraged or demanded, I don't know if this is a word, but I'm going to say it anyway, sedentariness. Mm -hmm. And so people were no longer living that nomadic lifestyle or were no longer, you know, once you had a family moving to other places. So I think it's just interesting. And for me, it provided a little more context to understand why Abram was being called. He's being called to help to be fruitful, multiply over all the earth. Yeah, and he was being called to prepare the promised land. Yeah. For God and the people that would eventually fill it. Yes. Um. So Abram leaves and he goes to the land of Canaan. So he's in Haran, which I fell into a rabbit hole about this. So they were originally... Abram was born in Ur, and that's where him and his family and his father and everybody picked up, and they were originally going to go to the land of Canaan, but then they settled in Haran. So from Ur to Haran is about 600 miles distance. No. I'm sorry. I can't go. <laughs> that's so long. I'm busy. I'm like... I I'm not riding a camel. I'm not walking. I, I have plans. I mean, I hike, and I go maybe four miles max i've done like eight and it took a whole day i'm listening about how hot (laughs) through the desert and with all of your things like your entire family all of your belongings your literal house your literal house like 600 miles would probably take them a year and a half to two years and let's just take a second maybe i'm jumping the gun since we're talking about stuff and how long it's taking to travel how wealthy and how much stuff Abram and Lot had. They were two very wealthy men individually, Mm -hmm. let alone together. So their caravans would have had to have been huge. Yeah, well, I mean, they made a point to talk about it because they took all their belongings and people that they had gathered in Haran. Yeah. Like, so they had... A whole shebang going with him. They had a posse, if you will. So 600 miles from Ur to Haran, from Haran to, I'm going to say this wrong, Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. So when God called Abram out of Haran, he said, go into the land that I will show you. And so Abram headed for Canaan. Now, my question is, how did he know to go to Canaan. Is that just because that's originally their heading, like where when he left Ur with his father and that was originally where they were going to go? Or like, did God tell him to go there? Like, what are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really, like, that's a very good question because I wondered that myself because even when eventually when we get to it in Exodus, Moses and the Israelites, God led them yeah. by a uh, cloud 
during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So God showed them where to go. And we don't see anything here about that. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, it had to have been some kind of divine or supernatural intuition. Yeah. Because I feel like if the Lord were to have like come to him in a dream or something, that would be there. written about. Yeah. Like, oh, the Lord appeared to, Ab- appeared to Abram in a dream and said, go out to the land of Canaan and da-da-da-da. But we don't see that. Yeah. So I don't know, which I guess is interesting too as to why weren't we told how he knew where to go? Yeah, well, I mean, at the same time, we weren't told why Noah knew what the clean animals were. He just knew. That's true. So maybe it's just one of those little anecdotes that yeah. it's like that we're getting we know until we die. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe when you go and you die, you can ask him yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I had this little rabbit hole moment where I was like, okay, he went to the land of Canaan, passed through to the land, to the place at Shechem. Shechem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The oak, it's a tree. Um, but the land of Shechem is also in the land of Canaan. So is Canaan like the state? And then Shechem is like a city, kind of like Haran or Ur? Like it's, this isn't, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's kind of what it is. Like those, they're like city-states within the, I guess, I don't know, a lack for a better term, and it's probably not right, but I'm going to say it anyway, like a country maybe? Yeah. And there are like city-states within the country? Well, because, you know, maybe it's just because the Canaanites ruled over that area. Like maybe they came and like collected taxes or did the census or like it was just their Yeah, because in this time too, keep in mind about what we talked about in the beginning is is that the definition of wealth is changing and governments are being put in place so we're seeing the development of taxes yeah so this could be could have been like considered quote unquote canaan land or the land of canaan and other people were living in it but were essentially overseen or or i guess for lack of a better term managed yeah by canaan makes sense So when Abram gets this tree, the Lord appears to him and says, your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him there. And that's the first altar we see that Abram builds in the soon to be promised land. Um, And this is the first time that or the second time that we're seeing that the Lord is promising Abram offspring with his barren wife. Yeah. And I think to... When I want something, I want it now. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think this just shows Abram's continued strong faith in the fact that he built an altar and gave him thanks. He didn't say, okay, well, I journeyed for this long. Mm-hmm. You promised me offspring. Where are they? Yeah. You know? 400 miles from Haran to the, the tree that he went to. It was about 400 miles. And he had to cross the Jordan at one point with all of his stuff. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. just think of like like caravans and traveling. Like we know what it, we've seen pictures and things of what it looked like mm-hmm. here. And I guess the West with Conestoga wagons. Can you imagine trying to pull camels across? A- we don't know if he had camels. 
That's true. But he probably did because he was Maybe. wealthy. Yeah. I don't know. And chariots and. Mm-hmm. That's uh, just a lot. I, I, I'm not I walking 400 miles, but <laughs> I walk 150 miles. And then you tell me I'm crossing a river carrying all of my stuff. Nope. <laughs> this is a good city. We're going to live here. <laughs> I dread moving. Like, I I don't Ugh. want to move. I live on a fourth floor apartment. Like, pff, I no. don't want to go anywhere. I don't even want to load the moving truck to go down on the street. Like, no. No. <laughs> no. And he was 75 when he first left. When he first left. Yeah. 75. So. That's crazy. Anyway. So... He builds an altar, and then he continues on uh, going toward Negib. Yes. Yes. So there was a famine in the land, um, which forces Abram to move again uh, to find refuge in Egypt. So he went to Egypt because Egypt is positioned on the Nile River, which... um, gave them better ability to provide food for man and animals in a time of drought. So that's why he went to Egypt. So in Egypt, here starts the family drama (laughs) yet again. (laughs) So when they're coming into Egypt, he tells Sarai to pretend, quote unquote, to be his sister so that he is not killed um, if the Pharaoh wants to take her for his own because that wasn't uncommon. Um, which, you know, this isn't necessarily entirely wrong because it's a half truth. Technically speaking, technically speaking, he is his half sister. Um, but still his selfish actions and telling her to tell the Pharaoh or whoever that she was his sister imply that he thinks God is unable to protect him. So, the Pharaoh does indeed take Sarai to be him, his wife, I guess, or to be one of his wives. Um, and it says, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram and he had a lot of animals and servants. So it was custom for when a woman is taken away from her family to become a wife or whatever, um, that is kind of like a dowry almost in a way, right? Yeah. Sounds right to me. So, and- I think you make a very in- your uh, your next point. I think is very interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so the Pharaoh gives Abram all of this stuff. He gives him animals and servants and probably gold, silver, whatever, um, in exchange for his sister and wife. So my question was: Did he know? that Pharaoh was going to do that. And that's why he lied about her being his wife, you know, because if that is true, it is a failure to trust God in all around in all aspects. Mm -hmm. He's failing to trust that God would protect him and that he wouldn't die. And then also that God would provide for him. Yeah. I think that's a very good point. And I never thought of that before. And I was just thinking about this. Kind of to your point when we were talking earlier. So what was Abram going to do if Pharaoh did take his wife? What do you mean? (laughs) Was he just going to let him have her? I mean, he would have have to. Unless he wanted to die. (laughs) So I'm rethinking my position on the, did he do it on purpose because he knew God would save him? Yeah. Right. I think you have a valid point. Yeah. 
I think so too, but <laughs> but anyway. Um, so it is dishonorable to take another man's wife. We know that, right? Even so still in, today. Even still. So twelve seventeen references twelve three when God told Abram that he would curse anybody who dishonors him. So it's dishonorable to take another man's wife. And so God curses Egypt with plagues, specifically Pharaoh's house. You know, he brought down plagues and sickness and all this stuff into Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh obviously figures out what's what. And he sends Abram out. And he's like, why did you do this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Obviously, God is with you and says, take Sarai, take everything that I have given you and leave. Like, just get out. So he's, he takes his wife and all that he had to rectify the situation. Pharaoh gives him a bunch of stuff to hopefully set the score Yeah, straight. So in my mind, when I was originally reading through this text, I was like, you know, Abram is actually kind of smart. He's uh, basically swindled Pharaoh out of a lot of possessions in his ruse, in his half-truth that he had with Sarai, knowing that God had promised to save him and deliver him. So my, I guess, initial quarrel was that Abram is obviously, you know, he's found favor with God. God has chosen him apart from anybody else due to his faith. So was this an intentional act on Abram's part in order to obtain more earthly wealth because how is wealth defined yep by having stuff. stuff so in knowing that god had promised to save him and to bless him was he intentionally doing all of this to gain more wealth because you know in a way god had said i'll make you into a great nation yep anyway it was just a thought <laughs> very interesting point so With that food for thought, we are already at about 45 minutes. Um, We really didn't want these episodes to go this long, as long as they have for the first and second episode. So we're probably going to cut this one in half um, and do 13 through 15 and probably like a midweek release. What do you think? Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, So with that, we're going to close this episode out. Sorry, we didn't get to finish everything we said in the beginning. Um... But we'll be back on Wednesday. So our favorite verse from chapters 11 and 12, what did we say? Um, Chapter 12, verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I think we like this verse because it was the first initial call or and promise from God to Abram and is also showing us what greatness is to come, i.e. the Messiah. Yeah, definitely. So next episode will release Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be going through chapters 13 through 15 to kind of close out this little segment. Um, So Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed the time we've spent in God's Word. We hope to see you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.